Romans 7, verse 15 through 25. Pretty important passage. What it reminds me is that when I'm trying to be in control, I'm going to mess things up. That when I'm the one that's taking control of my life, following my plans, going my way, the end result is, every time, sin and failure. As Don pointed out during the Lord's Supper talk, if this is Paul, imagine us. I know this feeling. And I've got lots of questions about this passage, but I know that feeling. And I get what Paul is driving at. But as he concluded, did you notice what he said? It doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be just an endless life of always slipping and falling and failing. Jesus offers deliverance. Jesus offers freedom. The struggle is, is that the freedom is not always easy to attain. Usually what Jesus has to say is pretty simple. It's simple to understand, but it's not always easy to grasp. In fact, in Matthew chapter 7, in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, Jesus said, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. The gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Jesus offers us freedom. He offers us deliverance. But Jesus' path is not always easy. It's a straight and narrow and difficult road. One that at times we feel like is just not worth it. And yet we need to remember what it is that Jesus is offering. Freedom. Deliverance. The path that Jesus sends us on, though, to get there is a path of sacrifice. In fact, we can look in Matthew chapter 19. And we know the story of the rich young ruler and how he came to Jesus. And he said, what have I got to do to have eternal life? And Jesus told him, sell everything that you have. The rich young ruler, that was too much to ask. And so he walked away sorrowful. But then Peter. Peter wanted to say, whoa, wait a minute, look at us, Jesus. Look at what we've given up. We're not like that rich young ruler. We've sacrificed everything. We've left everything in Matthew 19.27 and followed you. What then will we have? And Jesus offers at this point perhaps one of his most shocking statements in all of the New Testament. Tells the apostles, truly I say to you, this is verse 28 of Matthew 19, truly I say to you in the new world when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. But this next part is the shocking part. Everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sister, or father, or mother, or children, or lands, for my name's sake, will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. 
but many who are first will be last. Look in Mark chapter 10. In Mark chapter 10, we have Mark's rendition of this story. Peter began to say to him in Mark chapter 10 and verse 28, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sister or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. And finally, in Luke chapter 18, we find Luke's version. Three times the story is told. And three times we are called to the highest kind of sacrifice. In verse 28 of Luke chapter 18, Peter said, See, we have left our homes and followed you. And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come, eternal life. What a shock. What a sacrifice. Jesus is calling us to leave everything else behind for Him. Put Him first. Everything else comes after that. What a shock that is. The rich young ruler decided it wasn't worth it. I want us to take a look at these statements of sacrifice. And there's six things that I want us to notice from this statement about our lives and about the freedom Jesus has called us to. Before we do that, would you bow with me in prayer, please? Almighty God and Father in heaven, we love you because you are awesome and powerful. You are the great God who has provided us salvation through your Son, Jesus, who came into the world, lived among us, lived as one of us, taught, gathered disciples, but then was abandoned and rejected, crucified, but on the third day He rose again. He died in our place so that we don't have to. And His resurrection gives us hope of resurrection, and we look forward to that. Father, when we're in control of our own lives, we are beset by sin, we're enslaved, overcome. Satan beats us every day when we live that way. We long for the freedom and deliverance that comes through your Son. Help us to give everything to Him, to leave it all for Him, so that we can have that freedom that you offer. Help us to realize that it is in fact worth it to sacrifice so much so that we can have freedom and deliverance through your Son. Father, we love you so much for sending Jesus. We love you for sending your Spirit and the Word. We love you because you take care of us every day. Help us to give all that you've given to us back to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Six things I'd like for us to notice from this text. The first one is probably going to be a little bit surprising. The first thing that I do think we need to notice is this passage is not a command. We're so used to seeing what Jesus says as commands that we just almost automatically go to it and we struggle and wonder about this. Is Jesus commanding us to sacrifice everything. You become a Christian, you sell all you have, you leave your wife, you leave your kids, you leave your parents. Is that what Jesus is saying? That is not what is happening in these passages. Jesus did not say, you become one of my children, you have to give all of this away. That's not it at all. It's not a command. Again, in fact, I'll read from Luke 18. He says in verse 29, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left 
house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. Jesus is not giving a command saying this is what you have to do in order to have eternal life. He's simply stating a fact. That is, those who have done this, they'll be rewarded for all their sacrifice. The, the thing is, as Christians, we may not necessarily have to leave houses, land, wives, parents, children. We may not have to give up all of that stuff. We may not have to sacrifice all of that in order to be able to have eternal life. But some of us will. Some of us, because of life circumstance, are going to have to give up things and sacrifice things. And the sacrifice for each of us is going to be different. And what Jesus is simply stating is, whatever it is that you have to sacrifice, the reward will be great for that. I just want to demonstrate to it that this is not an absolute command that says to become a Christian, you have to sell everything you have, you have to leave everybody you know. Look in Acts chapter 4. Excuse me, Acts chapter 5. In Acts chapter 4, some of the disciples had begun to give, give away and sell their lands in order to get the money and then give that money and lay it at the apostles' feet to help take care of Christians in need. Ananias and Sapphira thought, well, if we do that, we'll look really good. And so Ananias and Sapphira, in Acts chapter 5 and verse 1, sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. See, when Ananias owned his land, it was his land. He was not obligated to leave his land. Once he had sold the land, the money was his, Peter says. He was not obligated to give that money in order to help take care of the Christians in that church. See, it wasn't a command that you have to do it this way. But what Jesus points out is that everyone, if they sacrifice for the kingdom of God, that sacrifice will, in fact, be rewarded. Now, having said that, we don't just close up the book and skip on along our merry way acting as though this passage hasn't asked anything of us. While we have to be honest and recognize this is not an absolute command, we do need to realize that it does call us to the highest form of sacrifice. We need to be willing to give up life as we know it. We need to be willing to give up life as we want it. We need to be willing to give up life as we have planned it. That's what Jesus is calling us to. In these texts, it mentions specific things. It says things like houses, lands, possessions, husbands, wives, mothers, fathers, children, brothers, sisters. It mentions those specific things, but it's not trying to give us an exhaustive list of the sacrifices that will be called upon us. Rather, this is a figure of speech. If you like to get technical about it, it's called synecdoche. Generally, we refer to it as a part for the whole. You know how if you were a rancher, you might say, how many head of cattle do we have? Now, we're talking about the whole cow, right? We're not talking about just the head. We're not talking about a rancher who just has cow heads out in his field. But we say head of cattle, part for the whole. That's what this is. It's a part for the whole. It's a list of specifics given to represent the entire concept here. Jesus is not merely saying that some people might have to give up a house or some people might have to give up a, a possessions or some people might have to give up their families or be ostracized. 
Rather, he's calling together these specific examples in order to give us a general teaching that says, we're going to have to let go of life the way we want it to be. In fact, in the book of Luke, Jesus has already said this twice in Luke chapter 9 and verse 24. In Luke chapter 9 and verse 24, Jesus said, For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. And then again in Luke chapter 17 and verse 33, Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life will keep it. What he's saying there is not, well, if I kill myself, I'll live. That's not what he's talking about at all. He's talking about our concept of life. Let's face it, in our lives, we have goals, we have plans, we have wants, we have desires, we have dreams, we have things that we like to do. And what Jesus is saying is we've got to be willing to give that up for him. His goals for us may not be our goals for us. His plans for us may not be our plans for us. His wants for us may not be our wants for us. And if we're going to follow Him, if we're going to have the freedom that He offers, we're going to have to be willing to give up life as we know it in order to have life as He offers it. Consider the example of Paul in Philippians chapter 3. Here was a man that was going places. Here was a man that was head and shoulders above the rest among his peers and among his compatriots. Here was a man who was going to be on the Jewish speaker circuit, if you will. He was going to have influence and power and fame and probably wealth. He was going to be able to, to be in the top rung, might even have a seat on the council of the Jews and, and, and be a leader among that nation. But notice what it says in Philippians chapter 3, beginning at verse 3. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead." Paul is looking forward to that resurrection, that ultimate freedom, that ultimate reward. But in order to get there, in order to have the deliverance, in order to have the freedom, he had to give up life as he knew. He gave up his rank among the Jews. He gave up his position of influence. He went from being their golden boy to being considered a traitor. He lost all kinds of opportunities. It looks like he even gave up his job as a tent maker for the most part in order to be able to travel around. Had a career change. He went from being the one that the Jews would write papers for so that he could go off and lead people to persecute the church to being the one that they wrote papers about taking vows until he was dead. Paul gave it up. 
He gave up life as he had planned it. He gave up life as he had wanted it, as he had known it. In order to receive the life and the freedom and the deliverance that Jesus offered. We've got to be willing to do that. Because if we want freedom, we've got to leave it all for Jesus. As we consider this, one of the things I recognize from studying Scripture is that these sacrifices may come for various reasons. It's very easy sometimes to look at these passages and and say that we can pinpoint here's exactly what it means, and that's not necessarily the case. When we look at these texts, these sacrifices for the kingdom's sake may come for different reasons. For instance, let's just consider this idea of giving up land and houses for the kingdom's sake. We know that this statement comes on the heels of this rich young ruler. And Jesus had told this rich young ruler, you've got to sell everything that you have and give it to the poor. Jesus called him. In fact, Jesus commanded him to give up his houses and his land and his wealth and his material possessions. If this fellow wanted life, he was going to have to get rid of his material possessions because that was the thing that was keeping him in sin. It was his material possessions that were keeping him enslaved and separated from God. And so here's a person that giving up land and houses was because he had to. He would have to do it if he was going to have freedom, if he was going to have deliverance. But that's not the only reason for which people might give up land and houses. We've already made reference to Acts chapter 4 and Acts chapter 5. We read what Ananias and Sapphira did, but let's look at what the disciples who actually served God did. In Acts chapter 4 and verse 34 it says, There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now these folks didn't do this because they were commanded. They didn't have to do this. But when they sold their land and their houses, were they not giving up their land and houses for the kingdom's sake? Weren't they sacrificing that for the sake of Jesus' kingdom in order to take care of Jesus' kingdom citizens? They didn't have to do this in order to be right with God, but they voluntarily did it because they wanted to serve one another. And what Jesus says is they're going to be rewarded. But there's another way in which people gave up land and houses. Look in Acts chapter 8. In Acts chapter 8, beginning at verse 1, Saul approved the execution of Stephen. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. There were a bunch of people that gave up land and houses because they were faithful Christians. They didn't do this because God commanded them to. They didn't do it voluntarily. They did it because it was persecution. They were persecuted and driven off their land, and all out of their houses. And they gave up their homes. Why? For the sake of the kingdom of heaven. And what Jesus says is, they're going to be rewarded. Sacrifice may come for various reasons. I'd like to take a look at another example. And just because Luke chapter 18 mentions what I think is probably the most shocking aspect of this, because it says not only that they leave house, not only brothers, parents, or children for the sake of the kingdom, but it actually mentions leaving the wife, leaving the spouse for the sake of the kingdom. Well, what's that about? Is this saying that as Christians we can just get rid of our spouses because it's, they're making it hard on us or, 
or, or for just whatever reason, I think when we look through the rest of Scripture, we actually see that there are some various reasons that we might leave a spouse for the kingdom's sake. First thing, I think we need to recognize that Jesus may not be referencing divorce here. What some folks want to do is come in here and say, oh, that word leave is the same word used in 1 Corinthians, so this is talking about divorcing somebody. Well, when he said leave the home, he didn't mean divorce the home, did he? When he said leave the parents, he didn't mean divorce the parents. doesn't necessarily mean divorce the wife or the husband. In fact, the reason I know that is because his response, his statement here, is in response to Peter who says, we left everything. Peter said, we left everything and are following you. Jesus didn't say to him, no, Peter, you haven't left everything. Peter said, we've left it all and followed you. Now we know this about Peter. Peter was married. Matthew chapter 8 and verse 14. And Matthew chapter 8 and verse 14. Jesus entered Peter's house and he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. If Peter's got a mother-in-law, guess what he's got? He's got a wife. Did Peter divorce his wife in order to follow Jesus? Obviously not, because after Jesus leaves the earth, and in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 5, Paul talks about Peter still having a wife. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 5, it says, Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Cephas is another name for Peter. It's the same guy. Peter said, we've left everything for you. And Jesus said that will be rewarded. Peter had left home. Peter had left job. Peter had left wife. But did it mean he had divorced and abandoned all of those things? No. What it meant was in order to follow Jesus and do what Jesus wanted, he had left that behind. He had put Jesus ahead of those things. By the way, can we also point out what Peter's wife left in order for Jesus' will to be done? She let Peter go off on this trip. Think about all the work she had to do because Peter wasn't there at the home front making the money. I think there's a great deal to be said about what she left for Jesus' will to be done. So the first thing is, is that it may not be divorce at all. It may simply be that in, in what we do in order to serve Jesus, we may have to have a period of separation. We may have to have a time where we're away. It may be something where we go off to do Jesus' will and not fulfill some of our responsibility at home. That may happen at times, for the kingdom's sake. For the kingdom's sake. Keep that in mind. When we're saying that, I'm not talking about you just decided to go on a bender and left. That's not for the kingdom's sake. The second thing, we look there in Matthew chapter 19, and we remember that this whole teaching not only came after the rich young ruler, but it actually came after Jesus' teaching on marriage and after his teaching on divorce. Matthew chapter 19 the Pharisees came to him and asked if they could divorce any, a wife for any cause. And Jesus' answer was basically, no. No. Haven't you read? And what God has joined together, let not man put asunder. Verse 9, though, he follows it up because they continue to question. Jesus says, and I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. The general rule is, if you put your spouse away and you marry somebody else, you're committing adultery. It's not a lawful marriage. One exception, it says, except for the cause of sexual immorality. If you put your spouse away because they committed sexual immorality and you marry another, that's not adultery. But what would you do if you became a child of God and you discovered, 
I'm committing adultery. My marriage is adultery because I am unlawfully married to this person. Well, you'd have to leave them for the kingdom's sake, wouldn't you? For the sake of the kingdom. That adultery would be separating you from the kingdom of God. You'd have to leave them for the kingdom's sake. Just interestingly, by the way, the disciples said, well, Jesus, if it's like this, it's better not to marry. Jesus said, not everyone can receive this saying in verse 11, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let one who is able to receive this, receive it. When he's using eunuch here, I think he's using this idea to talk about celibacy. Folks who have determined to live a celibate life. Why? Notice that phrase he uses. For the kingdom's sake. The third thing that might cause us to leave a spouse for the kingdom's sake is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 12 says, To the rest I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, he should not divorce him. She should not divorce him. So the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children will be unclean. But as it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. What if the faithful Christian, a person becomes a Christian, or maybe their spouse falls away? But you have one person who's faithful to Christ and one who's not, and that person says, I'm not living with this anymore. And they decide to go. Well, what Jesus says, if they, or what Paul said is, if they decide to go, if they won't consent to live with you, let them go. Let them go. You're not enslaved. You don't have to keep following them around to try to be the husband or wife. Let them go. That would be leaving for the kingdom's sake. In order to continue in with what Christ says about his kingdom, the unbeliever might depart. Now, this does not say if the unbeliever's making it kind of tough on you, you can put them away. It says as long as they consent to live with you, you stay. That's the thing that we need to keep in mind. But if they leave, you can leave. Now, we're not getting into what that says about whether or not you can marry again. That's another lesson. But what it says is, is that if they, if they won't consent, you can let them go. That would be leaving for the kingdom's sake. Those are the three things I see in Scripture that would fit under what Jesus told the disciples there. Now, the sad thing is, there would be a lot of, a lot of Christians that would decide they, they won't do that. Some folks might become a Christian and find out they're in an unlawful marriage and decide that instead of doing what the Bible says, they'll go to a church that says it's okay. What churches teach, don't change what the Bible says, y'all. We need to do what Jesus says. This is about turning to Jesus, not about turning to the church that we like the most. It's about turning to Jesus. There are others who might have a spouse that says, I'm not going to put up with this anymore. And instead of maintaining their faith and continuing to follow Jesus' pattern and give everything up for Jesus, they back off in their commitment and quit serving the Lord the way He has said they should to try to preserve that marriage. They're choosing the marriage over Jesus. There are others who might have opportunity to serve the Lord in great ways but instead of the family offering up some sacrifice, they don't accomplish those things for the Lord. This sacrifice might come for various reasons. But the thing we need to recognize is that when we sacrifice for Jesus, we will be rewarded. 
The key that we also need to understand is anything we put before Jesus, we're going to lose. Anything you put before Jesus, you'll end up losing. You think that you can hold on to it? You think that, well, Jesus, I, I think I can still be saved and I can still have this. and I, It's just not going to work that way. The rich young ruler, Jesus said, sell all that you have. And the rich young ruler said, I can't do that. And he hung on to his wealth. What's going to happen to that wealth? How long is he going to be able to keep that? Maybe a few years. He might even be able to keep it up until his death. But then what's going to happen to him? He's going to lose it. In Luke chapter 10, we have the story of Mary and Martha. In Luke chapter 10 and verse 38, now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him to her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. You see that? When we choose the good portion, when we choose Jesus, when we choose getting to know Jesus, above everything else, Jesus says that won't be taken away. But if we choose the other things, those will all be taken away. First and foremost, if we choose things above Jesus, that's just going to keep us enslaved to the sins that keep besetting us. And how many things do we lose because of sin? The family that we're wanting to keep? The money that we're wanting to hang on to? The health that we think is so important? When we let our lives be enslaved to sin, all that gets taken away. But even if we're able to maintain a modicum of those things while we go through this life, what's going to happen when this life ends? We didn't follow Jesus because we were afraid it would upset our parents? Are we, are we going to be able to go to God and say, well, I was just afraid my parents would be upset. You think He's going to say, okay, that's it. Y'all can have life too. All that money, we can't take that with us. Even if we're able to hold on to some of it for a time here, when the end comes, we won't be able to take it with us. Everything we put before Jesus, we're going to lose. Understand that. Understand that. Jesus is saying, here's freedom. To get this freedom, the path to freedom is going to be a lot of sacrifice. If you sit there and hang on to those things I'm asking you to sacrifice, you're going to lose them anyway. Why not let it be by your choice on the path to freedom than by just the natural consequences of continuing to live in sin and live separate from Jesus? If you don't get anything else out of this, I hope you get this point. Whatever you put before Jesus, you will lose. You won't be able to hang on to it. Not for long. You might kid yourself because it seems to be going okay for a week, a month, a year, a decade. But you won't be able to hang on to it forever. And if you put it before Jesus, what's really sad is when you've lost all that other stuff anyway, you have nothing. Because you won't have Jesus either. Therefore, come full circle. 
We need to stop hanging on to life as we know it, as we want it, as we planned it, and accept life as Jesus has offered it. Back in Luke chapter 9, we read verse 24 a little while ago. Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. In verse 25, he goes on to say, For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world or loses or forfeits himself? What would it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself or forfeits his soul? What profit is it? We hang on. We try to preserve life as we want. If our number one goal comes to preserve our relationship with wife or husband or with children or parents, if our number one goal becomes to to have lots of money, if our number one goal becomes to be popular or famous, if our number one goal is all of these things, what's it worth if we get all of that? What if we are able to hang on to all of that for the next 60 years? And then we die. And we lose our soul. Is it worth it? But what if we give up stuff? What if we give up life as we know it? What, what if becoming a Christian means we have to give up our favorite television shows? Quit reading the kind of books we read. Going to the movies we go to. What if it means that some of our friends abandon us? What if it means that our parents ostracize us? What if it means we have to leave a spouse? What if it means we we have a career change or we lose our job? Could you imagine some of those early Christians? They were a blacksmith. Once a year they had a festival to Vulcan. And if you didn't honor Vulcan, there wasn't a Roman there who would want to take their metalwork to you because they thought the gods weren't with you. You lost your job just because that one day a year you wouldn't follow that celebration. What if being a Christian means losing our job? Oh, Jesus would never ask anything like that. I don't know. He says right here. Everyone who's left, land, houses, father, mother, brother, sister, wife, children. That may be what is asked of us. And if we continue to try to hang on to that life, we're going to lose the life that Jesus offers. So let it go. Surrender. Give your life to Jesus. Give your children to Jesus. Give your husband, your wife, your parents, your job, your money, your possessions, your goals, your desires. Give that over to Jesus. Just do what He says about it. And for some, perhaps many, it'll be a hard life. But freedom is at the end of it. Deliverance. And the reason we want to do this is because the life Jesus offers is better. The life Jesus offers is better. Whatever it is about your life that you're hanging on, <clears throat> excuse me, that you're hanging on to, that would cause you to say, I don't want to go uh, whole hog into serving Jesus. I, I don't want to go off and, and be extreme about this Christianity thing. I, I don't want to necessarily let it impact everything about my life. Whatever it is that you're hanging on to, What Jesus is offering you is better. In Mark chapter 10, this is the account of the story that spells it out the most detail. 
Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sister or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecution and in the age to come eternal life. Do you have to give up possessions? I can tell you from first-hand experience the depth of sharing that takes place among Christians. Do you have to give up? You'll gain more from your brethren. Give up parents, brothers, sisters, mothers, relationships that make us feel at home and a sense of belonging. Look at the number of people here. And it's not just these folks here. It's Christians everywhere. People actually let those relationships grow. But even more than that, he says, in the age to come, eternal life. Romans 6.23 spells it out for us pretty clearly. The wages of sin is death. When we're not giving our lives over to Jesus, sin is going to beset us, we're going to be enslaved to it, and death is the ultimate result. That eternal destruction, not just physical death. Physical death happens to everybody, no matter how they've lived. This is talking about eternal death. This is talking about damnation and hell. That's the result. Separation from God for eternity. That's the death he's talking about here. That's the result of letting things come before Jesus. But if we put Jesus first, the result is eternal life. What's better? What's better? Hanging on to the things of this life for a few decades maybe? And then an eternity separated from God? Or sacrificing and putting Jesus first for some decades here for an eternity of bliss with God in heaven? Remember, whatever you put before Jesus, you're going to lose. And if you put things before Jesus when you've lost it all, you won't have Him. But if you put Jesus first, you may lose everything, and the folks in the world will think you're the weirdest, oddballest person. Why on earth would you do that? I'll tell you why. Because the worst day with Jesus is better than your best day without Him. Because the life Jesus offers is better. So it comes down to this. The question is asked in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 26. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? What will you give in return for your soul. Lust, gossip, pride, wealth, relationships. Are any of those things worth it to forfeit your soul? Because all those things lead to death. If you hang on to those things, you'll lose Jesus and the life He offers you hang on to Jesus, you may lose a lot. But the life you'll gain is worth it. 